Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice, but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Constant Emergency, a special project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For many of us, recent events have been unnerving. The drastic consequences of climate change, threats to our democracy, a worldwide public health crisis, and so much else that seems to have converged all at once. Author and pastor Susan Beaumont in Troy, Michigan, outside Detroit, has been monitoring particular challenges at this time of transformation. For the vast majority of people, the response is a longing for simpler times. There's the desire to turn back, um, or the desire to rush forward, to get to resolution. But for a lot of people, just the sense of uh, remembering when things were more pleasant, uh, easier, and, and just wanting to get back there. I can totally relate. It's, it, it's a kind, kind of destabilizing moment. Yes, it is. It feels like we've reached some kind of cosmic inflection point. Nature seems to be commanding that we change. Such moments present opportunities to innovate and fix long-neglected problems. But for some who've grown weary from the instability, there are distinct dangers. There is this loss of hope. And when we lose hope, we tend to lose our creativity and our imagination. Um, if we get swept up into thinking that this is only a downward spiral and it doesn't have a productive ending, then there is that loss of hope, as opposed to understanding that this is the disintegration of systems that must fall apart in order for us to invent um, something that works better for us now, right? Things have to, the old way has to stop working and we have to endure this liminal time period where it seems like we are in between something that has ended and a new thing not quite yet ready to begin, this uncomfortable place. We have to live in this place um, and complete the, some of the undoing before we can uh, begin to delight in the emergence of the, of the new thing. Learning to sit with not knowing well, I don't see where it's going
The loss of hope, I think, is the biggest problem because it, it doesn't allow us to stand in this place with creativity um, kind of at its core. Uh, but I think the other um, biggest dangers that lurk are the rush to restore a status quo. So the, um, the, the great desire to get rid of the ambivalence and just settle in on something, anything. Um, and when we do that, particularly when we rush back to the old status quo, we, um, we shut down the opportunity for that adaptation and innovation that needs to happen. So um, this striving on the part of leaders in particular to keep people happy by giving them something that calms them down is, is one of our biggest dangers. We, we have to stay unsettled, um, but, but we have to keep that unsettling at a level that people can tolerate. And so for leaders, the, the biggest danger is not being able to find that zone, right, of how unsettled can we keep people so that they keep innovating, they keep trying new things, that they don't get overwhelmed by it, but that they don't just rush back to, um, well, things are normal now. I think this is the biggest thing I'm seeing coming out of the pandemic. So many people saying, okay, this now is the new normal. And so let's just resume as much of our old stuff as we can in this new normal space. In fact, I don't think we've hit the new normal. I think this is just a pausing place. Um, and trying to reinstitute old practices may be one of our biggest dangers. As the ground has shifted beneath us, some aspects of the old normal may no longer be available. One example is our profligate consumption of the Earth's resources. It's a pattern that uses up a lot of fossil fuels, exacerbating climate change and the weather calamities it brings with it. The new normal will mean relinquishing some old habits. Nicole Warwick of the Sonoma, California Community Resilience Collaborative. I think grief is the big elephant in the room that we all know is there, but we want to pretend like it's not there and we want to avoid. We want to compartmentalize and keep going and keep functioning and keep on with life so that we don't have to slow down and feel the complex feelings that come with being with our grief. Um, and it's also, I think, the most important work that we have to do living during this time is being able to navigate and metabolize our grief. It can mean coming to grips with an actual loss or set of losses, but also realizing that as we release part of the past, it can free up our energy to be directed elsewhere. It's a subtle, multi-layered process. I came to understand this on a deep personal level back in 2012. I was fortunate enough to be accepted into Al Gore's climate reality training. And I gathered with a thousand people from around the world to study climate change and how to build the momentum and the wave of, of policy change and system changes that we need to enact in order to address climate change. This past summer in the American West, there were a lot of cities that broke all time records for high temperatures and number of consecutive days with a 100 degree temperature or more. 
200 cities and towns in the West set all-time records. And going through this training, I had a, I felt like something was missing because it was very much an emphasis of here's a big problem. Lots of images of um, catastrophes, floods, fires, drought, devastation, and I felt overwhelmed. It's a reaction many of us have had on learning the effects of climate change. The scale of these impacts can be mind-boggling. According to a Yale study, a majority of Americans now believe that global warming is happening and that it's related to extreme weather events. I felt burdened by the information. I was um, grief-struck, but I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know how to articulate it at that time. But I knew that there was some piece that was missing for me, that I couldn't go out into the community and present this very shocking, destabilizing, existentially crisis information, and then say, and then present, you know, a bunch of solutions. Many of them at the time were very, very expensive and inaccessible to the majority of people to be able to make the case for why we should believe that climate change is real and happening and what we need to do to change it. There was something missing and I just couldn't land what that was. It was a few weeks after the climate reality training that I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And with that diagnosis, I came to understand the enormity of the emotions that present themselves with an existential crisis such as cancer, with an existential crisis such as climate change. And I understood what was missing was that we live in a society and a culture that is under-equipped to be able to process and navigate grief. Um, we often hear things like, oh, time will heal it, or you've just got to get back to a normal routine, when neither of those things are accurate. Um, we heal the grief by doing the work and feeling the feelings and moving through the process. And it's messy, and it's unpredictable. It is not a linear process of now I feel sadness and then I'm going to feel anger and then maybe I'll feel acceptance. It's quite um, disruptive and hard to show up to, which is why I think a lot of people don't like to deal with their grief. I didn't really have a choice because I wanted to survive. I was 37 years old at the time. My sons were 12 and 15. I had every reason in the world to want to live and needed to be able to be present to this tsunami of feelings that I had experienced um, and then to be able to heal myself so that I can step back in and help guide and support our community as we navigate this healing that we're going through with climate change. Community can serve as a vital safety net in times of distress. Yet our communities are sometimes fractious as we try to harmonize with people of different backgrounds. Reverend Susan Beaumont in Troy, Michigan. I think there has to be um, fundamental work right now on compassion and empathy. Um, because I think 
the way we think about community is even being redefined. You know, what is community? Who's in my community? How do I connect with that community? But at the center of being able to learn more about what the new communities are going to look like is um, just caring deeply about one another, trying to connect with one another, um, and um, and to understand the the suffering of others and to sit with them in that for a while, uh, to not try to wrap it up in a in a happy bow, uh, talk people out of their suffering, to just be present with them in it. And I think that's how we discover our way into a next chapter. Susan Beaumont is author of How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. She examines various ways we can think about change. Many people wanting to help take on the role of an advocate, which in some circumstances is strongly called for. But in other cases, Reverend Beaumont sees a different approach. When people are in need, she says, often they benefit most from a sympathetic ear who pays attention. The advocator in me wants to fix your problems, <laughs> wants to tell you what got you into this position and how we get out of it and how we solve this problem that you're having. The attender in me is willing um, for me to be present in that with you. And that that that's a real vulnerability because it means I have to be um, present to your suffering in a way that um, I, I open myself up to it as well, that I experience it alongside of you. And there is a vast amount of suffering happening for people now. Although suffering is something that we can relinquish to a higher power so that we don't have to be actual victims of the suffering. We can be with it. We can be uh, in it, but not of it. Yes, that's well said. And I think also points us back again to that surrendering. When when I find myself in the midst of that suffering stance, or I'm with others who are, of saying, um, what, what if we um, surrender to the circumstances we find ourselves in instead of um, railing against them? A lot of our suffering comes from trying to rail against our present reality. We're examining how people process the many stresses and crises that seem to have piled up in recent years. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Constant Emergency, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. James Gordon, the psychiatrist at Georgetown Medical School in Washington, tries to offer ways people can feel safe again in their lives. And that requires an internal shift. First of all, that there's hope, um, that it's possible for change to happen, having a direct experience and understanding that you, each of us, has the capacity to make that change. So that's number one, and that's absolutely central. Dr. Gordon is author of Transforming Trauma, The Path to Hope and Healing. One of the characteristic features of people who've been severely traumatized is that they feel that uh, there's no hope for change happening, and there's definitely nothing they can do to bring about change. 
And that's one of the most debilitating uh, aspects of trauma. It's not just the symptoms, it's this belief that people have because of the way that trauma has, um, in a sense, de debilitated and disabled all of their, their sort of cognitive and emotional functioning. So yeah, that people feel, I'm not going to be able to make a difference. So from the beginning, we, we assert that it's possible. And maybe as we check in, as we go around in a group, when we're leading a training, we share our own experience. Look beyond what's happening right here in this moment. You have to widen the lens. Sabrina and John. So yeah, these, these calamities are horrible. But since I've walked through and witnessed so many of them, what I do know is that something amazing always grows through that tragedy. Lately, I've been sort of obsessed with this tree, the London plane tree, which I didn't even know what it was until recently. But it's a you've seen it before. Anyone that's visited New York City <laughs> has seen this tree. It is a tree that grows in, in abandoned buildings. And New York City at one point in my childhood was full of abandoned buildings. And I realized at some point in my childhood that there's this tree that, in the middle of nothing, in the middle of rubble, this tree grows. Just naturally rises naturally up. Naturally rises up. And I've witnessed it over and over and over again. I've witnessed the darkness, and I've also witnessed this amazing beauty grow through it. Now, of course, when I show up, I have no idea what the plane tree is going to be. But I know that it's there. And what I convey to the audiences that I've been blessed to sit with is just stay with us. Stay with yourself. Stay with your heart. Stay with every emotion that needs to come through so that when, you, when that tree shows, shows itself, you can see it. But I've seen it. I also believe, David, that, and people get really prickly when I say this, but all of us are designed to survive traumatic life experiences. If you look at all of the historical figures that really get us excited, we were talking about Desmond Tutu earlier, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. I'm just thinking of African-Americans right now. I'm thinking about Rosa Parks and, and so many people that inspire me to be who I am. They had to walk through trauma, every last one of them. And, and some of them were felled by the trauma. Oh, absolutely. And they also achieved greatness. They, it was a, it's a both and. But without the trauma, would they have achieved the greatness? Absolutely not. So when I'm, when I'm doing my work and I'm living my life and I'm striving to live and do what I believe I'm supposed to do while I'm here, it is to remember that I'm supposed to have experiences that make me afraid, that make me angry, that make me frustrated, and then I'm also designed to ex have experiences that bring me joy and love and laughter. A lot of the news we read or listen to describes a world now beset with tribulations, some quite devastating. And many people are asking a profound question. Is there action I could now take to improve the situation? 
or are current conditions actually beyond my control? So you have been in a number of what I would call these traumatizing circumstances mm -hmm. where you're trying to help the people who are surviving that. Mm -hmm. And I have to assume, because you're obviously a caring, sensitive person, that sometimes this can get you down, that, that, that this can be personally challenging, mm -hmm. kind of the feeling of being overwhelmed. So how do you cope in moments when you are personally overwhelmed? So I want to say I haven't met a single survivor yet whose story didn't move me to tears. Sabrina and Jai. So one way that I give myself permission to release that feeling of overwhelm is to give myself permission to cry. I'm very comfortable crying. And sometimes I cry with, and sometimes I cry after. Uh, I, I, I feel the, the emotion that I give myself permission to feel also helps to move that sense of overwhelm. The best example I have is, is what's happening with so many governments. So many governments are harming people. I can't change who the president of Russia is. I, I can't change... Who, who the king of England, the queen of England is. I can't change those things. What can I do? But I can change the way I speak to a British man or woman. I can change the way I speak to my husband and my children. I can change this furrow in my brow that I get when my mom frustrates me. I can change my willingness to put my hand out to a stranger. And I believe that every time I do that, I am consciously aware that I am changing the energy around me, which then changes the energy around them. How we interact with others in the world comprises so much of our personal experience and defines our own sense of well-being. This was a lesson that Melissa Barnett introduced in her work with school children in Santa Rosa, California. Fully half of the students there had lost their homes in the terrible wildfire back in 2017. I had the opportunity to go into the schools. I worked with 15 classrooms from second grade to middle school. I was able to bring in some of these tools that we learned and teach the children how to take a deep breath. We did meditation. We did some meditative art different ways for them to process when they were feeling anxiety, when the storm comes, like how do you get through the storm? You know, what are the tools? I would work with the kids to find out what they already knew, what they were already using, if it was their animals that comforted them. Then that was one of the things that they had in their toolbox was the connection they had with their animals. I taught them to go outside and take a deep breath with the trees when the air was clear, of course. Um, and also, at, you know, asking them to look around their community, their family, their friends, who was there to support them and how can they support their family. Take a deep breath in. Peace, 
begins with me. It's a four-part meditation. Deep breath in. Peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. And you can say it to yourself and bring yourself back to that peaceful place that you have the tools within your hands to be able to calm yourself. We heard earlier that Melissa Barnett's own home had burned to the ground in that awful fire. She later moved into a makeshift trailer park provided by FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They called it FEMAville. And then some of the people started planting tomatoes and flowers and playing music and inviting each other over for potlucks. Nicole Warwick. It takes courage to show up and witness the things that we don't want to see. It takes courage to step in and act on behalf of love, love to be given and love to be received. And I'm reminded as somebody who's navigated a lot, and I just want to encourage people to just keep showing up, asking for help, reaching out. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to navigate climate change or any of these catastrophes that we might experience or health crises alone. Seek support. Find the people around you who can help you because that gives us the courage to keep going when things are hard and we're having to witness and face the things that we might not feel well equipped to do to remember we don't have to do it alone. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Field recording by Kobe McDonald and Zach Rosen. Editorial assistance from Kathy Graham, Ken Rogers, and Rowan Edwards. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to VOA News and Cal Fire for archival audio. And to singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer for permission to use Learning to Sit with Not Knowing. And to Santa Rosa Community Health. Thanks also to Laura Carlo, Steve Martin, Jack Clappish, Thomas Royal, David Cruz, and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media. To download an audio copy of this program and access other resources, please visit humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. You can also access our other programs and send us an email from our website. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. And you can subscribe to our free weekly podcast, Humankind on Public Radio. This segment, part of our project, Constant Emergency, is Humankind Program number 292. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.